Uh, it's good to be with you this morning, the second Sunday in January. Kathy and I were gone last week, and it seems like we were gone for much longer than that. It's great to be back with you this morning. Um, I have a number of year-end and new year, new year items I need to address this morning, so I want to ask you to kind of bear with me as I do a few housekeeping things before I introduce our new sermon series. First thing I need to do is I need to thank Scott Ruska for preaching last Sunday. Um, if you weren't here and you didn't hear that, he did an outstanding job. Uh, he introduced our new theme for the year, Living the Word in the World. Um, and we were blessed by what Scott did. So, Scott, thank you for doing that. Um, we introduced that theme. It's a theme that we're excited about, we feel very strongly about. And it comes from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And I want to read that verse again so that we can have that in our minds as we go forward. It says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And we want to be known as people who do what it says. We want to be people who are blessed in what we do. I also want to thank Scott Payton for designing these banners that you see up in front of you. He did an excellent job. I think they look great. So if you see Scott, thank him for that. I also want to call your attention to the fact that we have Live the Word wristbands that you can find at the table at the very back. Um, uh, Zane Hurd pulled that together. I want to thank him for doing that. These banners that you see, these wristbands that we have, Other things that we'll be doing throughout the year are things to help remind us that in this coming year, in 2017, we really want to focus on being a congregation that doesn't just hear the word, that doesn't just read the word. These things will remind us that we are called to be people who actually live the word and not just live the word when we're within these church walls but live the word everywhere and all of the time. And we know that in order to live the word, we need to know the word. To use James's language, we need to be people who stare intently into the word. One of the ways that we've been encouraging each other to stare intently into God's word is we've been having Bible reading challenges. So what did we do a year ago? Well, a year ago, we kicked off Project 6K. And at that time, we challenged ourselves to collectively, as a congregation, to read at least 6,000 books of the Bible in 2016. This morning, I want to give you a final Project 6K update. So last year, we did not read 6,000 books of the Bible. Instead, we read 8,006 books of the Bible Outstanding accomplishment. Not 6K, but we read 8K. And how did we get there? How did we, as a, as a congregation, read 8,006 books of the Bible? Well, we got there because 150 of us, 150 of us took the challenge and read our Bibles and reported our progress and did so faithfully throughout the year. 
And of those 150 participants in the challenge, 59 of us read through the entire Bible at least once in 2016. 59 people read through the Bible at least once. And you know, the majority of the people who read through the Bible in 2016 at least once did that for the very first time in their lives. Outstanding accomplishment. And you know that 59 of us read through the Bible at least once, but there were many in this congregation that read through the Bible two, even three, and one person read through the Bible four times in 2016. That's how we got to 8,000 books of the Bible. And as the year went on, and as I heard from more and more of you about how powerful and transforming this new reading habit was, it became obvious that it would be a really big mistake to leave the reading challenge behind in 2016. It was obvious it would be a really big mistake not to continue to challenge each other to regularly and faithfully immerse ourselves in God's word. So as we said goodbye to 2016, we said goodbye to Project 6K. And as we said hello to 2017, we're saying hello to Project 9K. We're going to challenge ourselves this year to collectively as a congregation read at least 9,000 books of the Bible. And I heard a few like, ooh, that sounds kind of aggressive. And maybe it is, but I don't really think so. So how can we read 994 more books of the Bible this year than we read last year? Well, one way that can happen is that those of us who participated last year can continue to participate and just read seven more books than we read last year, and that would get us there. That would be great if we did that. But that's not really our goal. That's not what we really want to see happen. See, our hope is that we'll get to 9,000 books of the Bible as a congregation by increasing participation in the challenge. We'd like to turn 150 participants into 175 participants or maybe 200 participants. So I want to challenge you. If you participated in Project 6K last year, I want to challenge you to continue on with your Bible reading in 2017. I want to challenge you to keep it up. Maintain the habit Continue to dig into God's word like you did in 2016. And if you didn't participate in Project 6K, I want you to to do that this year. I want to challenge you to participate in 2017. I want to challenge you to participate in Project 9K. I want to encourage you to grab one of the Bible reading plans you can find back at the welcome booth or elsewhere in the building. Or maybe follow one of the Bible reading plans that you'll find on our website. Or go online and find some Bible reading plan. Whatever will work for you. But I want to challenge you to join us in 2017. Join us as a congregation as we stare intently into God's word. I also want to remind you to not forget to record your progress. That's one of the things that's really made this Bible challenge work is that we've been recording our progress and we've been, re- we've been reporting that progress. And each week we've been able to look at together and see how we're doing and that's kept us involved, it's kept us encouraged, it's kept us reading God's word. So to help us be able to report weekly, I need you to report your progress to us weekly. And you can do that in a couple of different ways. 
The easiest way for many people is to do it online. You can go to a simple form that's on our website and fill it out and record for us what you read during that particular week. And then we'll add that to our total. If that doesn't work well for you, the other thing that you can do is you can take one of those yellow member cards. And I know everybody fills that out every Sunday. That's a joke. I know you don't all do that. But if you would start doing that, that would be great. And you can record your progress at the bottom of that. Say, I read six books this week. I read 20 books this week. I read one book, whatever it is. We'll add that to the total as well. So you can either do it online or you can do it with your member card that you turn in each week. And one of the things that you need to know that we do to help keep us encouraged and help to remind us to read and to report our results is we send out a reminder by email every week. Usually it's on Friday. That email reminds you to record your reading progress. And on that email is the link to the form online that makes it easy to quickly enter your results. We send that email out as a part of our Netherwood News and Notes. That's the best way that we have to communicate with our congregation is by email with our Netwood News and Notes email service. That's the way that we send out prayer requests. That's the way that we send out news that's relevant to this congregation. It's the way we send out all kinds of things that are pertinent to our lives together as a church here at Netherwood. So here's something I need you to do for me. If you're not receiving Netherwood News and Notes emails from me and you would like to, We need to go back to that yellow card that we talked about. If you're not receiving those emails and you would like to, pull out one of those yellow member cards, clearly print your name on that card, print your email address on that card, and then drop that card in one of our prayer collection boxes and we'll add you to our list so that you can be communicated with as we communicate with most of our congregation. So pull out the card. Print your name and print your email address as legibly as possible. Drop it in one of the prayer collection boxes. You can find two at the back and one through these double doors, and we'll add you to our database. And you'll start receiving Netherwood news and notes. You'll start receiving those prayer requests and those reminders about our Bible reading challenge. Well, with all this talk about the Bible reading challenge, I hope it's obvious to you that we as a congregation... And we, as a leadership, place a very high value on God's word. And I hope it's obvious to you that we think it's crucial that all of us spend significant time in God's word, staring intently into God's word. After all, how can we live the word in the world if we don't know the word? That's why we've done the Project 6K Challenge, and that's why we're doing the Project 9K Challenge. It's because we believe in the importance of knowing God's Word. I also want you to know that we believe in the importance of prayer. We believe that the prayers of God's people are powerful and effective. That's why you'll find these green prayer request cards in front of you. Anytime that you have a prayer request that you would like to bring to the attention of this congregation, a prayer request that will then go out to hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people who will be praying for your prayer requests, all you have to do is fill out one of these prayer request cards and drop it in one of the collection boxes, and we will honor that request. 
We also understand that there are some prayer requests that are better kept private, and you'd only like the eldership of Netherwood to know about that. You can do that with these prayer cards as well. If you have a prayer request that you'd like to bring just to the attention of the eldership, you can fill out this card, check the box that says elders only, drop it in the collection box, and that prayer request will be honored by our eldership. We believe in the importance of prayer. It's powerful and it's effective. Something else that you need to know that we believe very strongly about. We believe in the importance of believers' baptism. We believe in the importance of believers' baptism by immersion. See, we believe that it's through baptism that we are buried with Jesus Christ. And not just buried with Jesus Christ, but we're raised with Jesus Christ so we too may live a new life in Jesus Christ. So I'm going to start this new year by saying to you, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, we'd really like to talk to you about being baptized. We're going to use this green card to help communicate that as well. If you'll turn that prayer request card over and look on the back, you'll see that there's a next steps portion on this card. See, if you would like to talk to an elder or a minister about being baptized, all you have to do is take this card, fill out your name, put your contact information, and check on there. I would like to talk to an elder or a minister about being baptized. And one of us will contact you right away. Because we want to talk to you about what we believe is so important. So if you haven't been baptized and you believe in Jesus Christ, then we want to talk to you about that. There's something else that we believe very strongly in. We believe very strongly as a family and as an eldership, we believe very strongly in the importance of being part of a church, part of being a church family, being part of a group of Christians who meets together and has common purpose. We believe there's great value in formally declaring that you belong to this church. Great value in formally declaring that you want to be led by this church's eldership. So let me say to you, if you've been attending here at Netherwood for a while and you have never formally let it be known that you want to be a part of this church, that you want to be led by this eldership, I think it's time that you made that declaration I want to encourage you to make that declaration, to join with us with our common purpose in serving our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. So on this same card, again, if you'll fill out your contact information, make sure you include your phone number and email address. Drop it in one of the collection boxes, and one of the elders or one of the ministers will contact you and talk to you about church membership here at Netherwood Park. We want to encourage you to join us here at this family. So that's all the, all the work that I needed to do, get out of the way. Now, finally, I'm going to introduce our next sermon series. So over the next several months, we're going to be exploring the gospel of John. I want you to know I'm really excited about this sermon series. I'm excited about this sermon series because I love the gospel of John. Not that I don't love Matthew and Mark and Luke. I do love Matthew and Mark and Luke. I love how Matthew speaks to the teacher in me. 
how he speaks to the teacher in me through the Sermon on the Mount and through all of the wonderful parables of Jesus Christ. And I love how Mark is full of action and full of suspense as Jesus resolutely moves towards his final destination in Jerusalem. And Luke, I love Luke. I love how Luke is just full of Jesus' compassion. His compassion for the poor, his compassion for the downtrodden, his compassion for the powerless. And I love how Luke shows that Jesus is the friend of sinners, friend of sinners like me. I love Matthew and Mark and Luke, and I love the way that each one of them tells the good news of Jesus Christ in their own unique way. But even though each of those gospel accounts has its own unique characteristics, they're a lot more similar than they are different. Each of them follows the same basic chronology of Jesus' life and Jesus' actions and Jesus' ministry. Each of them contains the same basic events and the same teachings and the same basic dialogue. So even though they're unique, they're more alike than they are different. And so one of the things that I love about John is that John is a very different gospel account. Oh yes, it tells the same good news of Jesus Christ, but John tells that good news in a very different way. In fact, it's been estimated that approximately 90% of the content that is in John isn't found in any of the other three Gospels. So it's safe to say that John is a very different Gospel. So when we read John, when we study John, we get a different perspective. When we read and study John, we discover new insights. We come away with a fresh appreciation of just how good the news of Jesus Christ really is. And one of the reasons why John is such a different gospel is because John writes with a different agenda. John writes with a different purpose, a different agenda than Matthew or Mark or Luke. And John makes his agenda for writing his account very clear. And interestingly enough, he doesn't do that at the beginning of his gospel. He does that very near the end of his gospel. And that's where we're going to turn our attention now. It's in the scripture that was read earlier, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Listen to John's agenda in his own words. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And then he says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing those things, you may have life in his name. So why did John write his very different gospel? Well, he says, I wrote it so that you, so that my audience may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. He says, I wrote my gospel account so that you, so that my audience may have life in his name because of your belief. But who is John's audience? Who is he writing this gospel account for? Or as you'll see on my outline, I channeled my inner Dr. Seuss and I said, you is who? 
Well, who is you or you is who? That's how Dr. Seuss would probably talk about it. Who is his target's audience? Well, like most biblical documents, John's gospel account is written to believers. It's written to the believing community. It's written to the church. It's written for Christians. So John is talking to people like you and me. Believers as part of a believing community, Christians. See, John's primary agenda wasn't to talk to unbelievers to convince them to believe. His primary agenda was to help believers to continue to believe. To keep on believing. John wrote to the church to keep believing. To keep believing that Jesus is the Christ. To keep believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why he's writing his gospel. And that is a need that we share with his original audience. The need to help the church keep believing. See, it makes sense that that's what John was doing when we consider when John wrote his gospel account. We have a great deal of confidence that the Apostle John wrote his gospel account late in his long life. We're confident that this is the last of the four gospel accounts that were written We're confident that John wrote his gospel account some 50 to 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 50 to 60 years. Think about that for a minute. Think what that means about John's original audience. See, it means that most of the people, if not all the people other than John who had actually seen Jesus who had actually encountered Jesus, who had actually heard Jesus, almost all of those people had passed on. As Paul would say, they'd gone to sleep. So it means that John's original audience was made up of very few, if any, other eyewitnesses than John himself. Very few eyewitnesses to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that means that John's gospel is the only gospel account that was written to people just like us. Believers who never actually saw Jesus. Believers who never actually encountered Jesus. Believers who never actually heard Jesus. Believers like us who have questions and doubts and fears of what's going on in the world around them. Written to believers like us whose faith rests on the testimony of those who did see. Whose faith rests on the testimony of those who did hear. Whose faith rests on the testimony of those who did encounter Jesus. Whose faith rests on the testimony of people like John. See, John's written for us. John's written for me, and John is written for you. It's written for people who believe. And it's written so that we will continue to believe. Continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. And by continuing to believe that we may have life in his name. So I want to finish up our time today talking about a few things that are very different about John's gospel. 
And we want to do this to help us as we move into exploring John's gospel, to help us really understand what's going on, really appreciate what John is doing. So we'll just highlight a few of the different things that will help us better understand this different gospel as we explore it over the next couple of months. And the first thing that we need to understand is that the word faith never shows up in the gospel of John. Isn't that kind of surprising? Isn't that kind of interesting? The word faith never shows up in John's gospel. But the importance of faith is everywhere in John's gospel. It's throughout John's gospel. Even though you will not once see the noun faith in John's gospel, it's everywhere in his gospel. It's everywhere, but it's not there as a noun. It's there as a verb. It's there as an action. It shows up in John as the verb believe. Let me illustrate it this way. What does John chapter 3 verse 16 say? You guys all know it. Go ahead and say it to me. Now that this is when you speak. Thank you, Leonard. All you guys have read 8,000 books of the Bible and no one remembers what John 3.16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. So keep that verse in mind because I'm going to give you a grammar lesson. How many people love grammar lessons? No one. I don't either. So I'll keep this brief. So in English, many words have both a noun and a verb form, right? That would be right, yes. So today I sang a song, right? Noun and verb form of the same word. I prayed a prayer. I dreamed a dream. If I had slept last night, I probably would have dreamed a dream. Noun and verb form of the same word. But many words, many nouns don't have a verb form, so we use other verbs when we talk about it. After this, I'm going to go upstairs, and I'm not going to lessen a lesson. I'm going to teach a lesson. Um, After church today, I'm not going to meal a meal. I'm going to eat a meal, different forms, in order to talk about these words. A noun form, but not a verb form. So when we talk about faith, we say that we possess faith, right? It's a noun. It's something that we have, like we have confidence, like we have trust. We have faith. But we don't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever faiths in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There isn't a verb form for the noun faith. And you know, that's really unfortunate. Because in Greek, there's both a noun and a verb form of this word. And when John wrote his gospel, he was saying that whoever faiths in Jesus will have eternal life. Whoever faiths in Jesus. Well, why is that important? I'm sure you're wondering that right about now. Well, it is important. It's important because in John's gospel, faith isn't something that you just have. It's not something that you just possess. Faith for John isn't a noun. For John, faith is something that you do. Faith is action. It's a verb. Faith is all about action for John. 
for John, just as we live our lives, we also have to faith our faith. Which makes John the perfect gospel for a group of people who in 2017 are committing themselves to living the word in the world. To not just know God's word, but to live God's word. Not to just have faith, but to live our faith. Faith is all about action. Okay, that's enough of the grammar lesson. Something else that we're going to see in John that's very different is that Jesus doesn't tell a lot of parables. And we love Jesus' parables, don't we? But John doesn't record those parables. Instead of telling parables, what John does is he presents Jesus as the living parable. He shows that Jesus himself reveals the truth about the nature of God, not through stories, but through his life. So in John, we're going to hear Jesus say things like, I am the bread of life. If you want to learn about the bread of life, Jesus is saying, you need to learn about me. We'll hear Jesus say, I am living water. Jesus is saying, if you want to know living water, then you need to get to know me. We'll hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. Jesus saying, if you want to see the good shepherd, then you need to look to me. We'll hear Jesus say, I am the true vine. Jesus is saying, if you want to be attached to the true vine, then you need to become attached to me. In John, Jesus is the parable. Well, something else about John that we need to understand as we look forward to digging deeply into this gospel. We need to understand that John isn't overly concerned about chronological order. John's focus isn't on presenting this orderly sequence of events from Jesus' life in the order, in the sequence in which they happened. And we need to understand that doesn't make John's gospel any less true. Not any less true than the more chronological Matthew and Mark and Luke. See, John's focus isn't on when events happened John's more concerned about why they happened and even more concerned about what meaning those events have for those of us who need to continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the fact that John isn't overly concerned with chronology doesn't put him in conflict with the other three Gospels. There is no conflict with the other three Gospels. It's the same good news of Jesus Christ. It just means that John had a specific agenda in mind when he wrote his gospel. He's ordered his account in service to that agenda. He's ordered his account in a way to help us continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Final thing that we need to focus on as we look forward to exploring John's gospel. We need to understand that John focuses on Jesus' divinity more so than he focuses on Jesus' humanity. And he does that to a greater degree than Matthew or Mark or Luke. 
John focuses on and celebrates the divinity of Jesus Christ. And I think that's one of the main reasons why I love the Gospel of John so much. See, John makes it very clear that Jesus isn't just a great teacher. He isn't just a prophet who's sent from God. No, John boldly declares that Jesus is actually God-made flesh. That Jesus is God among us. That Jesus isn't just God's servant. No, Jesus is God's son. And John also leaves no doubt that Jesus wasn't a passive player on life's stage. John makes sure that we understand that Jesus wasn't at the mercy of world events. No, John's going to declare to us that Jesus was in control. And that Jesus is in control. And that Jesus will continue to be in control. So one of the things that John does is he refutes the notion that that Jesus was a victim. That Jesus was a victim of evil forces and evil people who were outside his control. No, John tells us that Jesus wasn't a victim. Tells us that Jesus chose to die. He chose to die for the sake of the world. He chose to die for the sake of me and the sake of you, for the sake of all mankind. And as John does that, he'll declare to us that the cross wasn't a defeat. In fact, it was far from a defeat. The cross was Jesus' great victory. So John will declare to us that Jesus is victorious. So over the next few months, we're going to be digging deep into this very different gospel. And we'll be digging deep because this gospel is for us. It's written for us. We are believers who need to continue to believe even when we have questions, even when we have doubts. And we'll be digging deep in this gospel because this gospel is written for us. For people who, even though we haven't seen Jesus, we need to continue to love Jesus. And as we move through John, we'll come to love Jesus more and more. We'll dig deep into the gospel of John so that we may continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He's God made flesh. He's God in control. Jesus is God victorious. We'll dig deep into John's gospel so that we will continue to believe. And so we'll have life in his name. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do believe. And we pray that you'll help our unbelief. And, Father, we do have faith. And, Father, we pray that you'll help our lack of faith. So, Father, our prayer is, as we enter into this sermon series, that you will speak through John. That you'll speak clearly and plainly and boldly through John. Father, so that we will continue to believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
so that we will continue to believe that Jesus is your son. And so, Father, that by believing, we will have life in his name, the glorious name of Jesus Christ. We pray this through his name. Amen. So we're going to end our time together by standing and worshiping together. We're going to stand and worship God made flesh. We're going to stand and worship God who is in control. We're going to stand and worship God who is victorious. We're going to stand and worship Jesus, who is the word made flesh, and who brought life in his name. Let's stand and let's sing.